I'm going to open this Queen deep dive with a story totally unrelated to Queen (laughs) because it's so stupid. It's funny and it's all my fault. So (laughs) this morning I get up and I go to take my meds for my UC and my liquid iron. I started taking liquid iron when... I opted to take super small doses of it. If you're familiar at all with iron supplements, then you know that most of the time you can't find them for less than about 20 milligrams a pill. And I don't even want that much. So liquid iron is great because you can take as little as you want. And if you take it with food, et cetera, it's pretty easy on your stomach. So anyway, I digress. But I have this liquid iron. And this liquid iron I have came with a little cup, like, you know, cough syrup cups when you pour the dose and you you take a swig of it. I'm the only one taking this stuff though, so I don't use the little cup. I literally just take the cap off and take a swig of it and that's it. But I keep the cup on the cap. I don't know why it's this weird OCD thing I have, but I took the bottle out of the cabinet and I'm standing there and I take the cup off the, the cap, or so I thought, And this iron, this liquid iron also has some supplements in it, like citruses and elderberry and stuff like that. So I always shake it. I always shake it before I take a swig of it. So I shake it. I shake the bottle and it goes everywhere. It goes all over the kitchen counter, the cabinets, the floor. It got all over my arms and splashed across my chest on my shirt. And I'm just standing there and I'm like silently going, <gasps> because I don't want to wake up my husband. And I'm like, oh my gosh, if, if this was actual blood, I would have looked like something tragic had happened in the kitchen. <laughs> so here's what happened. The cap, which I obviously didn't screw on all the way the day before, was stuck inside the cup. So when I took the, the cup off, the cap came with it. And unbeknownst to me, I shook a completely open bottle of liquid iron and ladies and gentlemen, it went everywhere. That is my story. (laughs) I spent multiple times this morning trying to clean the stickiness off the floors and the counters and I wiped it off of my arms. You guys, it was dripping down my arms, but gosh, I hope it comes out of my shirt. I, I still kind of smell like iron and I've just decided I'm, I'm going to just go for a run later and sweat it off and take a shower and I'll be fine. <laughs> have you ever smelled iron? It's like rusty blood. I mean, you have iron in, in your blood. So of course it reminds you of blood, but I'm sorry, this is getting really gross. I, I just, I had to talk about this little mishap I had this morning because it was kind of funny. It was tragic in the moment. I was like, wow, this is awful. This is a mess. And then I thought, this is actually kind of funny. So I just wanted to tell you that I had a total blonde moment this morning and it resulted in massive liquid iron madness. (laughs) But let's get into the deep dive today. This is a queen deep dive day and we are still in the thick of Queen's fourth album, A Night at the Opera. And this is a very special dive because it's the 39th dive. And guess what? Guess what song we're talking about? It's 39. This is Brian May's composition, 39, in the year of 39. And I, I'm like, wow, this is so cool. It's, it's kismet. <laughs> this is the 39th deep dive. The song, 39. Track number five. 
on a night at the opera, and it's all futuristic folk rock or skiffle or prog rock. I've read a few different descriptors for this, but it's definitely folk inspired. That's absolutely for sure. This was the B-side of the single, You're My Best Friend, which we just talked about. How about that? One song right after the other on the single as well as the album. And this is a lovely one from Brian. As we would expect, Brian is often nostalgic, thoughtful, very introspective. And this is all of those things at 102 beats per minute. It's a nice, relaxing tempo in the time signature of 4-4. And here's where it starts to get interesting. This is A-flat major, but it was transcribed in G major. So was this recorded and then sped up to achieve a certain effect? Is that what happened here? Because if you're familiar with scales and notes, you have A, B, C, D, E, F, G, and then they just repeat all over again. And you've got flats and sharps in there, et cetera, but A-flat major is right next to G major. So you just kind of go, wait, what? It's, it's a very interesting key setup. We also have a little bit of E major here and B flat major. It's nice to get some of these variations of key, especially from Brian. We haven't had a whole lot of songs like the ones on Queen 2 and before it, which were so infused with all these different keys that took us everywhere, all over the keyboard, in so many different chords in every single song. But here we have a little bit more of that going on as well. And I think it's very appropriate because this is a, is a complex number. This is pioneers traveling through time and space. It's an ode to memory, nostalgia, and a bit of astronomy, no surprise, from astrophysicist Brian May, Dr. Brian May. This is nostalgic astronomy. It's like the perfect Brian creation. It employs uses and, and references to Einstein's theory of relativity and the time dilation there, that as speed increases with distance, the time expands, and both the perception of time and the passage of time change, depending on whether you're the traveler or the one back at home. So this song talks about all those things in a very thoughtful, kind of a sad way. It's a complex folk song with unpredictable arrangements, but there's a lot of queen motifs we've come to know and love, including very, very rich, rousing, and impressive choral harmonies from Brian, Roger, and Freddie that make such great use of counterpoint, overlapping notes, octaves, and harmony transitions that completely surprise and intrigue. These vocal arrangements are they're stunning. And they may not be immediately obvious to the listener, but it's these complexities that make this one of the most imaginative folk songs ever. The use of at least 15 established chords make this far more interesting than predictable numbers strummed on acoustic guitars. And Brian's use of both six-string and 12-string acoustics create a classic folksy atmosphere and layers of riffs John's contributions on double bass complete the effect. And the electric guitars are very tempered here, notably so. And that is incredibly surprising because it's a Brian song. He's all about electric guitars. But electric exclusion is necessary to achieve the desired effect and that emotion. 
And Roger abandons all but bass, drum, and tambourine, which further adds to the ambience. Brian's previous number, that lovely Someday One Day, is echoed here, but this is much more heavily influenced by traditional folk. And Roger's soaring opening vocals, those falsettos, and that amazing crescendo in the bridge he has. Wow, this whimsical and dreamy number is one of Brian's best arrangements. And his lead vocal is superbly done, wonderfully performed, touching, reflective. His voice is so good with these emotional moments. The guys rocked this on stage 211 times from 76 to 79, though it popped up again for one-offs during the 80s here and there. And it's often referred to as a rousing and raucous sea chant of sorts. The guys would head downstage to stand in a line with John on bass, Roger on bass drum, and tambourine, and harmonies, of course, and Freddie on lead, and then Brian on the right with his acoustic guitar and harmony vocals. I suspect Freddie only sang lead because had he not, live, there wouldn't be nearly as much for him to do. Nonetheless, the four of them had a blast with this, taking a break from the hard rock to create a more intimate performance that the audience could not only enjoy, but sing along with and clap along with. I miss Brian on lead vocals though, but Freddie creates his own confident energy. It's a little less nostalgic, but Brian's tone, that nostalgia that he has just innately in his tone isn't something anyone else in the group has. It's unique in its softness and reflection. Freddie loved leaning against the other boys throughout these performances and encouraging them to sing louder and express themselves more. Roger rocks the kick and tambourine and sometimes, okay, most times nails that high rising crescendo in the bridge. It's a fun live song and one of my favorite live moments from Queen because it's so unique. It's sad that it vanished almost entirely after 79, but if I had to guess, it probably got tougher for Raj to sing those soaring high notes in the intro and then in the bridge as well. And I've even read that the guys used a device that mimicked Freddie's lower octave singing in those moments to create an illusion of the higher octave that Roger didn't actually sing. That makes me kind of sad, but even if that's the case, it was no matter. The crowd always loved that moment. In 76, Freddie told Record Mirror, quote, people can't believe it. They can't believe it's us. It's something Brian wanted to do, and it's very, very unlike Queen, really, unquote. But this is the magic of Queen. This is something that I think even by this point in Queen's career, because remember, we haven't gone past a night at the opera at this point. We've only had one super diverse album before it, which was Sheer Heart Attack. But I think at this point, fans who've been with Queen for the long haul already know that the guys like to experiment, think outside the box, do different things. And this was no exception. In 83, Brian himself talked about this song at length with BBC Radio 1, and he went on quite a bit about the story and his inspiration, but I chose some quotes here that I think sum this up well. Quote, it's a science fiction story. It's the story about someone who goes away and because of the time dilation effect, when you go away, the people on earth have aged a lot more than he has when he comes home. So usually the song 
I think people generally usually won't admit it, but I think when most people write songs, there are more than one level to them. Now, to elaborate a little bit on that, what he was talking about was the personal side of this song and the reflections of just living your life and going through certain things. And that's what he was alluding to there. So yeah, this is Queen's 39th song when counting all tracks from their debut to this point. That's pretty cool. And I can't help but wonder if this was intentional as the guys put together the track list because putting together an order of songs is no small thing. It especially mattered before digital downloads and streaming when everyone listened to a record from start to finish. You had to have a flow. You had to have structure. So whether it was intentional or simply happenstance, it's a brilliant fact to know that. And I still can't believe that John taught himself double bass more extensively as he dabbled on it with Bring Back That Leroy Brown on the previous album. And he did it because Brian joked that John should learn it for 39. (laughs) So John's like, okay. He goes and learns how to play double bass well enough to absolutely knock it out on this number. And this is also one of the few Queen numbers Roger almost entirely abandons his drum kit for a simple bass drum and tambourine setup. In fact, it probably is the only song where we have such a minimal setup of percussion. There's a lot of appreciation for 39, and fans point it out as a stunning live number and a refreshing performance that changes up the guy's typical style and set up on a stage. But rather than the enthusiastic, you know, I love this song, we get a lot of contemplation and discussion around it, which I think is brilliant, especially because this song is not something that's new. It's been around for a long time. But you see a lot of people, especially younger fans, talking about this. And they mention, oh, this is like interstellar. (laughs) You know, it's that storyline, essentially. And I think it's one song that fans enjoy thinking on and taking in, but not necessarily a song that's often listened to for fun. But that's what makes this so intriguing. I can listen to it over and over, and it's always interesting and satisfying. It's a smart, intelligent and thoughtful song. And we would expect that. Brian, as well as the other guys, very, very intelligent, well-versed, well-educated, especially in his craft, not just the music, but the astronomy side of things. Very, I think, scientifically minded and inclined. So to get that out in this song, it's kind of genius. And it's all thrown into this beautiful number, this dreamy number Surrounded by gentle acoustics, heavenly ahs, including Roger's just stratospheric high notes. This opens in a lengthy intro that takes us into the story of travelers leaving for what they perceive to be a fairly short trip. It's heavily dominated by Brian's soothing lead vocals, and he's such a great storyteller. Lots of layers of his own harmonies. And Freddie and Roger round out that sound with impressive surrounding vocals. Roger, in particular, hits some extremely high notes. Notes so high, he sometimes struggled to get them out live. But here, they're refined to perfection and nested warmly amongst the strumming guitars and the sweeping ahs that just keep going on and on. Freddie is difficult to perceive here actually, without a lead vocal and buried in the harmonies, but his presence and strength is still felt 
in the vocal arrangement, I think. The six-string and 12-string guitars steal the show an awful lot, and Brian does a fantastic job on all of these arrangements. This song seems so simple, with a fairly minimal arrangement of double bass. Dang, John, I can't believe you're playing that thing. The light percussion and the warm guitars, and the vocals, of course. Even the electric guitars sound more like string instruments, all sunny, nostalgic, endless, boundless even. But it's in the arrangement. There is so much magic here. This is undoubtedly one of Brian's best compositions, even if some people call it country. And that flanger effect on the last chorus, what a, what a cool inclusion. They're unexpected, and it creates this otherworldly and warped effect. Very appropriate. Flanging isn't done so much anymore. Or if it is, it's unrecognizable because it's been so morphed over the years. But back then, it was still a relatively newer manipulation of sound that no doubt sounded very futuristic and almost alien. But the lyrics are all historical sadness and folk. Ugh, these lyrics, there are so many fantastic ones. Here the ship sailed out into the blue and sunny morn, sweetest sight ever seen. Or, for so many years are gone, though I'm older but a year, your mother's eyes, from your eyes, cry to me. So poignant and in a way, heartbreaking. This reminds me of White Queen and its sadness. I love that song. And the warm atmosphere of someday, one day. It takes earlier elements of Brian's work and fuses them to create this very unique one-off number in Queen's catalog. Brian's songs are always interesting, thoughtful, and touching, and this one is certainly one of his finest examples of excellent storytelling that is arranged to perfection. And again, you don't really notice it. it there's so much magic in the harmony vocals here, especially in the bridge and in the chorus. It, it, there's shifts in octave harmonies that you don't expect and you really have to listen in close to catch it but the moment that you realize that you have all these guys singing these harmonies that jump over each other i mean you don't think about that when you're arranging songs you don't usually think i'm going to do this i'm going to do this i'm going to and i just i again for like the millionth time i wonder was this strategic or was this something that just felt right to do it this way. So many questions for Brian. Did you put 39 where it is on the track list because it is your 39th song in the Queen catalog? Were these effects done consciously? Was there XYZ? I just, I have so many questions. <laughs> and this song is such a great conversation piece. And I think it's a great little diversion in the Queen catalog because like so many other songs, this doesn't sound like something Queen would do, but here we are sitting very comfortably in folk and loving it. And I think this is one of those numbers that's going to transcend any genre, and I, I, clearly it has, whether or not you think it's more country or folk or whatever. This is one of those songs that people talk about and discuss and like to reflect on, and, and that's very appropriate, giving the context of the song. Fabulous, brilliantly done. And this is just one of the reasons why I decided Brian nails A Night at the Opera more than any of the other guys, or at least steals my attention away on the entire album more than the others. This is just his first composition, too. 
We have a few others coming, and they're even more elaborate and complex, and they're impressive. But the simple fact that we have this minimal arrangement of folk sounds that creates this complex feeling, this very genuine longing for something, very, very well done. So 39, ladies and gents, and go check out a live performance or two or three. There's probably plenty of them to listen to, live killers, etc. And there's always an interesting take on the bridge portion because there were some nights where Roger just busted it out and it was effortless on those high notes. And there were other nights where it just, you know, clearly it wasn't happening. But such is life. We don't have fantastic vocal days every day. And it was always enjoyable regardless of how it went. So go check out 39. I'll be back next time. Keep yourselves alive. And we're getting into the middle of a night at the opera here. It's very exciting. We're getting up to some really... Oh, I'm already feeling the pressure, you guys. <laughs> I'm not getting up to bow rap yet, but I will be there in a few songs. And... I don't know. I might have to take like a week long break before I dive into that. One. <laughs> See, just thinking about it stresses me out. Okay. I'm going to go. I'm going to wind down, go for a run and get this iron off my skin. <laughs> I'll be back next time, guys.